0: All opinions expressed in this podcast by participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Bioverge Inc. or its affiliates. The participants' opinions are based upon information they consider reliable, but neither Bioverge or its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied on as such. Nothing contained in and accompanying this podcast shall be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy or a recommendation to purchase any security by BioVerge, its portfolio companies, or any third party. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to the BioVerge Podcast with Neil Lit. Neil, we've got Sonia Harrison lined up today. For people who don't know her, who is Sonia?
1: Sonia is an author, entrepreneur, investor, and she is the founder of 100 Plus Capital. Uh, So we're super excited to have Sonia on the show today. Uh, She is a longevity investor, uh, and so really excited to get her perspective on uh, her investment thesis in the longevity space
0: and, and what she's seeing out there in the field today. Aging and longevity have become a major biotech theme as as well as a big theme among investors. Beyond venture capitalists wanting to live forever, why do you think this has such resonance?
1: Yeah, I think it really resonates with with folks um, because there are a lot of uh, diseases of aging. And there's actually a lot of talk these days about the aging process being a disease itself. And so as you think about investing in various diseases of aging, like Alzheimer's, for example, maybe there are ways that we can actually attack aging as the disease that will then help to overcome various diseases of aging. And so there's been a lot of books written about the topic. There's a lot of podcasts these days., uh, there's a lot of interest, I think from you know VCs and the investment community in both the idea of extending lifespan, but I think also more importantly of extending health span. What are you hoping to hear from Sonia today? I'm really super excited to hear from Sonia about her view in terms of health span versus lifespan. And so I think, I think, you know, can we extend the maximum human lifespan, but even more importantly, can we extend the number of healthy years that that folks live? Um, So excited to hear her perspective on that. Uh, Looking forward to hearing about some of the investments that she's made in the space, her her thesis and what she's excited about in in the future. If you're all set, let's turn to Sonia. Let's do it. Sonia, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: I am incredibly excited to talk with you about aging, longevity, uh, your investment thesis at your firm, 100 Plus Capital. Uh, But before we dive in, I I want to make sure that you and I are on the same page and that our listeners have a good understanding of what we mean when we're talking about the notion of longevity. Um, So let me know if you feel otherwise. But when I think about longevity, there are really two core concepts. Uh, health span or the number of healthy or disease-free years someone lives, and lifespan, which is simply the age to which someone lives. So when we talk about increasing longevity, we're really talking about enhancing either their lifespan or health span or both. Uh, I guess my my first question is, is that generally how you think about longevity? And if so, are you more or less focused on one of those areas uh, more so than the other?
2: Right, right. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, And it's good to bring it up because I think some people when they hear longevity, they just think, oh, my gosh, maybe I'll just live a really long time, but I'll be old and decrepit. And that's horrible. Right. And so normally when when I speak about this topic um, to audiences, I I try to make a point right away in the beginning of the conversation uh, to explain to them that what I'm interested in is health span, um, being alive and longer and healthier Um, but ultimately I think, I think it's sort of a false dichotomy because they sort of go together. I mean, if you're going to be healthy for longer periods of time, you're probably going to live longer as well. I mean, some people might take, take issue with that and say, Oh no, no, no. It's going to be possible to just, you know, live healthy a really long time and then boom, just die. And maybe, I don't know, but you know, health typically goes along, uh, with, with, um, with longevity. So, uh, so but but personally I, I would just like to be healthy for as long as possible. And and I think most people agree with that.
1: Yeah, I think we can all all agree with that one. So I, I think that's a good segue into the, the process of aging itself. So how do you think about aging? Do, do you view aging as as some folks do as, as a disease? Is it a process? Is it an inevitability?
2: Well, it's all those things. <laughs> it is a disease, it is a process. And um, you know, for all of human history, it's been, it's been inevitable. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, that's, that is, um, that's starting to change our, you know, our, uh, our thinking about aging has changed a lot in the last, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years. Um, you know, uh, before, uh, before that period of time, we, we used to think that aging was just something that was set in stone and would never change and you would that's just how life was you got old and that what you died and that was it and um, you know thanks to some really uh, innovative scientists who did some experiments that showed that aging can be manipulated in the lab, meaning aging can be slowed down demonstrably in the lab, we know that aging is not set in stone and that's actually malleable and the fact that we can change it, Uh, changes everything, doesn't
1: it? It it really does. And I I think you bring up a good point. So I I think, as as you, you know, articulately said, I think our understanding of aging at a biological level has increased dramatically. Um, And and so I guess, you know, just a a quick recap for our listeners, right? There's been a lot of research around various ways that we can today impact the aging process. And that ranges from uh, caloric, restrictive feeding, uh, intermittent fasting, benefits of drugs like metformin, rapamycin, dietary supplements, for example, like NAD plus and all its precursors. Where, where do you sort of come out on the spectrum of interventions that people can follow today that, that may have a dramatic impact on, on health span or, or lifespan?
2: Right, you know, that's a good question. Um, well uh like you mentioned uh intermittent fasting is uh is a big one it's it's trendy today but it's trendy for a reason i mean and, and by the way, I don't think it's just going to be trendy I think it's something that's here to stay because the science is real and when you look at the science, you can see that truly intermittent fasting has a has a big impact on health and um and one of the companies I've invested in uh nutra has is showing through clinical trials that it actually does um does have an impact on aging, and hopefully at some point they'll have convinced the FDA to uh, label them the the first anti truly anti-aging diet. Uh, but they're working on a number of clinical trials uh, to demonstrate that right now. And then, of course, there's exercise, uh, you know, which has always been the tried and true, and there's been numerous scientists that have, have shown that um, you know, as you exercise, you change your uh, epigenetic profile, and you, there's a lot of different changes that go on in your body when you exercise. It's not just about losing weight or, you know, getting your blood flowing, it's, you, you really are truly changing your body when you exercise. And so that, that's why I exercise. When I exercise, I think about changing my body, not, um, not about losing weight or, or anything like that.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's a re- that's a really good point. And actually, I, I want to dive into the company that you mentioned, El Nutra, uh, that you made an investment in, and, and maybe we could just sort of take a step back. As, as you think about investing in the space, um, how, how do you think about, Um, looking at investment opportunities. Is there a certain lens that you're viewing these investment opportunities through? Are there certain criteria that you're looking for before making an investment?
2: Right. Yes. I am looking for companies that uh, either help extend human health span. Um, So directly, you know, maybe like a a gene therapy company or an anti-cancer company or things that can help us live longer and healthier lives or Um, And this is where I think I'm different from other longevity investors. I'm also looking for companies that help us once we have extended health span, because, you know, it's um, it will be epic to extend our health span. But there's you know, we're going to have to get used to that. And there's there's going to be a lot of other things we need to take care of along the way as well. And, you know, and 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 then there's things that overlap too, like clean air and uh, air and water and clean food supply. And, you know, we can't live health, long, healthy life if we have dirty food and dirty water. Um, And, uh, and that's something we need to fix. And so I have a pretty broad view of, uh, of, of longevity companies.
1: You know, I think that's a that's a really good point. I think a lot of us are focused on, you know, particularly, particularly the, the health aspect. And we forget about clean air, clean water, uh, the you know, climate change, the environmental impact and, and what a big impact that can have on our overall you know, health and lifespan. Obviously, right. if, if the environment uh, is, is, is not uh, doing well, that's going to have a dramatic impact on all of us.
2: Yes. And then our internal environment, too, as well. So like me, I've invested in two mental health companies because, you know, the longer we live, the more time we have to have problems that we have to deal with. And so mental health is going to be a very, very big issue. Um, it already is. Uh, but uh, even more so going forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I think that the pandemic, in many respects, has brought that to the forefront uh, as well. And, and just the challenges around sort of mental health and, and making sure that we're all taking care of our, our mental health. Um, exactly. You, you, you brought up sort of one point we've been circling around, and, and it's the idea of you know, health span and, and lifespan Um, You know, one of the concepts I have a bit of a hard time wrapping my head around is the idea of sort of unlimited human lifespan, right? So there are folks like Aubrey de Grey and and others who believe that humans have the capacity to live to be 250, 500 years old, for instance. I'm I'm much more in the camp that maybe we can extend our median lifespans by 10 percent, 15 percent. And those extra years, have you said could be you know healthy years, which is critical. Um, I'm much more skeptical that we'll see humans living to 150 years or 200 years old anytime soon, for example. But wh- where do you come out on this idea of you know, maximum human lifespan?
2: Well, I think that things happen in baby steps, and then all of a sudden you look back and you say, wow, how did that happen? Um, and so I, I think it's tough to talk about it all in one shot, like Aubrey de Grey saying, OK, we'll live to 1,000 years. Well. You know that scares people, and it sounds very radical. Um, but technically, it's probably not impossible. If you look at the science, and you look at how, um, or to 150, even let's go something much more conservative. Uh, you know, if you look at all the the things that could happen, and the ways that we could repair our bodies, and the ways that we could keep ourselves going. Um, You know, assuming there's other factors, too, aside from, uh, you know, biological wear and tear. I mean, like, will we enter World War Three and just kill ourselves off? Right. (laughs) So, I mean, there's many, many different factors out there for humanity besides just the basic uh, biological stuff. But, um, you know, I think these things science builds on itself. And it's always one step and then another step on top of that, another step on top of that. And before you know it, you're at the top of the mountain. And um, so I think that Aubrey, people like Aubrey de Grey have just jumped to the top of the mountain out of, you know, just very, very quickly. And, um, and really what they need to understand is that it's kind of, it, you know, it, it's a process and it takes time. And, but, you know, eventually I don't see any theoretical reason why there has to be a limit um, and I know that freaks people out, but um, although, you know, like I said, there's other, other mitigating circumstances for humans. Like, you know, you can always get in a car accident. You can always, I mean, there's always all these things that can happen. You're not going to, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't make any rational sense that to say that people are going to be immortal. We are never going to be immortal. There's always going to be things that happen and out of our control. But, but I think that we do have a decent real chance of living much, much longer uh, and healthier lives. And so, um, and and all you just need to do is look at the science and have a bit of imagination and not, not fanciful imagination, but just imagine how the science builds on the science builds on the science and you can see where it goes.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's, that's a really interesting point, right? We're never going to achieve true immortality, but You know, is is the biology of aging something that is inevitable? You know, clearly it's something that we can slow down. It it just depends on... You know, to what degree can we slow that those processes down? Um, And I I want to sort of go back and and dive into your book a little bit. So you published your book, 100 plus, uh, back in 2011. And I must say, you know, even when I read it, which was slightly more recently than that, it, it was really a crash course in longevity research and some of the amazing scientific advances that have taken place in the field. And, and I, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, but I think one of the passions that you and I share is this idea that we are routinely bringing science fiction to life. And most people have no idea that this type of innovation is happening in the world today. And it's happening today. It's not necessarily five or 10 years in the future. So if, if you look at the state of longevity research and how far we've come since you published your book, um, has the pace of change surprised you? Are, are there things that you think you got particularly right or, or perhaps wrong uh, since publishing the book?
2: Um, you know, uh, well, the, so the book has sort of two. Comp- I mean, there's different components to it. There, um, there's a science chapter, of course, and the science has changed so much. You know, the science was out of date the minute I wrote it, right <laughs> because the science really is truly moving at a break at breakneck speed um, and so uh, uh, you know and, and and it's going in a slightly different direction I guess than I thought it would back then because back then regenerative medicine was really um, in the spotlight and what by that I mean things like regrowing, uh, body parts in the lab, basically. So like, uh, you know, people like Tony Atala at Wake Forest University, who were growing brand new human bladders out of a person, a human being, you know, own adult stem cells, and, uh, you know, and replacing it for people who needed new bladders, and, and it working and it being durable, and it's, and it's changed these people's lives. And, um, and it looked like, well, maybe we'll just, You know, maybe that's how it's going to go, and we're going to just create all these different parts that we replace over time, and we'll replace whole hearts, and we'll replace livers, and we'll, you know, and so that sort of seemed like the trajectory at the time. Um, You know, and then there was there's this other uh, uh, scientific field of thought where it's like, no, 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 it's not going to be, we're not going to just be replacing parts. We're going to do syst- systematic changes, uh, you know, small molecules, uh, you know, like senolytics and um, all, all these different types of things to do whole body uh, changes that just slow down aging and fix everything all at once. And um, I think I think that uh, school of thought has really taken off since I wrote the book. And um, I sort of wish I had included more about that uh, about that school of thought. But there just hadn't been um, as many key advances at that time as, as there have been now.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I, I think, you know, just from my own experience at, at CIRM, I think the idea of regenerative medicine is, is really captivating, right? The ability to, to regrow human tissue, uh, organ replacement, things like that. And a, a lot of that is still relatively in its infancy. Uh, but there's a lot of things that the field has progressed dramatically on uh, in a lot of the areas that you mentioned. So as as I want to circle back to um, your investment thesis. So as you're thinking about making investments, um, you know, maybe you could highlight another company or two in your portfolio, uh, and 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 talk to our listeners about so what what you're seeing out there today that is that is investable, that is exciting, that is going to have dramatic impacts on on both healthspan and lifespan.
2: Right, right. Yeah. No, well, there's there's so much out there. I mean, I think one one that we have in common is uh, repair biotechnologies. Uh, speaking of repair, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you know that that is a company that's. Um, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because they're not uh, replacing organs, but they're they're changing uh, using gene therapy to uh, to change things in the body um, and uh, change immune cells to help. Um, right now, their their key thing that they're focusing on is uh, breaking down plaque in in the blood vessels in the heart, and of course, heart disease is the number one killer um, of people, I think, worldwide, at least in the U.S. Um, and uh, and, uh, and, and, they're working on that and, and a real repair. Cause right now, if you have heart disease, you just take drugs and, um, it slows down the progression of your disease, but it doesn't ever fix you. And, uh, you know, when I wrote the book, I thought, well, maybe they'll just sort of grow new blood vessels in the lab or new heart parts and just do a swap out. But, you know, maybe it'll be something more like repair biotech that we've both invested in, um, you know, where, uh yeah these immune cells that are uh, changed in the lab go in and go in and sort of repair eat away the plaque and 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 fix the fix the heart problem that way.
1: yeah, I think repairs are a really interesting uh you know case study. Um, it, it, in general, right? Because it, it, as you as you mentioned, is applying you know cell and gene therapy to try to tackle you know heart disease uh, and and atherosclerosis in, in particular, which I, I believe you're right is, is certainly the number one killer in the U S. and I believe the number one killer worldwide, at least in developed countries. And so right. I think you know part of part of our thesis at Bioverge in investing in repairs, you know, th- there's really no way we can have a dramatic impact on you know our collective health span and lifespan unless we're tackling some of the biggest Diseases out there and the biggest killers out there. And so, an obvious place to start is atherosclerosis, right? If we can move the needle on a disease like that, then that's going to have dramatic impacts at a societal level. Um, so, Uh, Yeah, I think that that's that's certainly an uh, an exciting one. Um, It's a
2: disease of aging. And this is the thing is that we haven't had that kind of vocabulary Um, and it's finally starting to creep in. But, you know, heart disease, cancer, diabetes. I mean, these are all diseases of aging. These are things that you are more likely to get as you get older. Um, And and, and now uh, people are starting to realize that and really focus on it. I think that will help uh, move things along. Yeah,
1: I, I think you're I think you're right about that. I remember, gosh, it was must have been back in 2012. I attended a, a, an aging conference. I think it was sponsored by the SENS Research Institute and Aubrey de Grey was on stage and he was talking about, you know, neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, you know, diabetes. A lot of these things were diseases of aging and. Um, and it was just it was a new terminology I'd never heard before. I never thought about diseases that way. And I think you're exactly right. It's now in the more common vernacular um, that a lot of diseases are age related. And if we tackle aging as the disease, we'll then be able to tackle all these other you know diseases that are sort of s- symptoms of the aging process. Um, exactly. And, and and I think to your point, I think folks like David Sinclair at, at Harvard are actually making a push for the NIH to label aging as a disease, which would then funnel more NIH dollars into fighting aging as, as a disease, as opposed to these other discrete, you know, symptoms of aging.
2: Yes, that's right. And I'm glad he's doing that. I actually spoke to him the day he was going to testify there. So um, I I hope it went well. I didn't, I didn't uh, hear anything about the proceedings, but, um, but you're quite right. I mean, it's the, the more that we think about uh, these, uh, these, Diseases like cancer and heart disease, and also they're all diseases of aging. And we'll be more prepared to tackle them if we think about them in in the proper context.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. So then, as you think about some of these in the proper context, then um, maybe you know, I, I love your thoughts on what you see as some of the most you know compelling technologies uh, that may be within reach, let's say, in the next five or ten years, um, and, and ones that you're either investing in or, or that you see on on the horizon.
2: Right. Yes. Well, like I said, there's sort of two categories, right? There's sort of the systemic things. um, And, you know, one one of the hot areas has been uh, this idea of like blood plasma or proteins in the blood or something about the blood. Right. Where you have uh, there's been these experiments where uh, parabiosis experiments where they attach a young mouse to an old mouse and um, and they share a circulatory system. And um, the old mouse gets a bit younger and the young mouse actually gets a bit older and uh, and scientists have been trying to figure out, well, what is it in the blood that's um, that's changing? Things? And, and there's a number of companies that are working on this. And uh, and I've looked at a number of them. And in fact, I have a, a call with one of them next week because um, there, there's something about the blood that uh, that makes a difference in terms of aging. And if we can crack that nut, um, that that will be uh, that will be revolutionary. So uh, so I think that's one a, a systemic uh, area that is worth looking at, um, you know. Of course, Senolytics has been really big over the last year, and they've had they've had some successes and some failures. And so, um, you know, this idea of uh, using drugs to clear out uh, old and aging cells that uh, create inflammation in our body. So, um, so that's something that I'm I'm still interested in, but I haven't found one that I've uh, that I've invested in yet. Uh, so those are sort of the systemic type things, and then and then there's a regenerative medicine type thing, like the repair just repairing one part at a time kind of companies. And there's a lot of those. Um, and, uh, and I'm looking at uh, many of those as well. So, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of hope out there and there's a lot of innovators and a lot of smart people who are really thinking about this. And that's why I'm so optimistic that uh, the science will build on itself. Um, you know, the one the one thing that I I typically always mention, though, and this, this is why I went into investing, by the way, because I didn't start my career as an investor. I started my career in the public policy world. Um, and uh, and then I uh, as you know, started writing about biotech and nanotech and then discovered this whole area of longevity science and was just blown away. Um, the reason I got into investing is that I went you know, when I was writing the book, I met all these scientists who had these amazing research and data. And like, literally, as you say, it sounded so science fiction, but they were turning science fiction into science fact. And it really was science fact. And but but then, then it seemed to kind of stop there. And it didn't get commercialized. And scientists are never sort of the best scientists are really good at science, and sometimes not so good at business. And so I really wanted to spend my time trying to help um, get the science commercialized so that people can actually use it. And it's not just mice that get to live a really long time in the lab.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, we've uh, cured unlimited numbers of mice of, of, of cancer. Yes.
2: Very right? and, lucky mice. <laughs> yeah, exa-
1: Exactly. <laughs> but Sonia, I think that's a, a really great point. And, and I think that's in, in a, large, um, a, a large fashion why, why I got into investing as well, is, is to really bring some of these therapies, some of these technologies out of the lab into the commercial sector, um, of co- and of course, there's a host of challenges associated with that, right? So, so obviously, a, a lot of therapies fail in in translation, right? And and recapitulating what what you know scientists see in animal models and how does that translate into into you right. know, humans and clinical studies? And so there, there's you know the the unfortunately named Valley of Death uh, that a lot of companies are susceptible to, but there's oftentimes a lack of capital to to make that transition from the from the lab to the commercial sector. Um, And so I think, you know, what you're doing in in the areas that you're investing in, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's really in this sort of translational stage, right, trying to bring technologies out of the lab, you know, achieve that initial proof of concept, maybe it's first in human studies, and really sort of help them gain a commercial foothold so they can be more widely adopted.
2: That's right. That's right. And the more that companies and and I think it's a trend these days now too. The more that companies can work with human cells rather than animal cells, the better. Um, or at least larger animals like you know dogs and horses and things like that. So a little closer to to humans. Um, so yes.
1: Yeah, and I think we're we're seeing a lot of that as well. I mean, there, there's been obviously a, a, a huge push using induced pluripotent stem cells uh, for disease modeling purposes, uh, you know, you know, pharma and tox studies um, and things like that. So, so I agree. I think one of the things that we're always looking for is, you know, are there in addition to the animal models, are they are they using primary patient samples? Are they using um, you know human cells or more human like cells uh, to try to signal if their approach will translate into the clinic.
2: Um, Exactly. Or, or organoids or um, body on a chip. And so, I mean, those are the the type of companies that I'm also supporting. I've looked at a few of those companies where it's companies that help other companies uh, work with human cells rather than animal cells, because I think that will get us a long way as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, I think um, we're seeing a lot of companies out there that are pursuing those types of approaches. And then also, you know, there are companies like uh, Blue Rock Therapeutics that are using induced pluripotent stem cells for actual therapeutic purposes these days. And so I think there, there's a big push into uh, not just the gene therapy, but the cell therapy approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in many ways, cell therapy is is lagging behind gene therapy. Um, yes. But there, there's been a lot of investment in the space, And look at, you know, recent. Biotech IPOs like SANA, for example, um, that are using, you know, cell and gene therapy approach and uh, have have garnered a lot of a lot of interest, a lot of investment and are making great progress.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: Um, So, Sonia, as you think about, um, you know, continuing to invest in the space, continue to sort of dive in deeper, there's a lot of really interesting topics that we cover today on the show. Uh, Any any thoughts about potentially uh, writing another book? Uh, at, at
0: this
2: point. <laughs> you know, I, I miss writing because most of my career I've spent doing a lot of writing. And now as an investor, I don't spend very much time writing, uh, which is sort of um, sort of sad for me because I like to do it. And yeah, I, you, there might be another book. I'm, right now, I'm not working on one, but but I would like to. And I think, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe someday, Neil, we can do a uh, stories from investing in longevity or something.
1: <laughs> that would be fun. We, we could have stories from the trenches.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Exactly,
1: exactly. I would welcome that. Well, well, great. Well, uh, Sonia, thank you so much for for being on the show today. I really uh, really appreciate the the conversation. Uh, I think there's there's a lot for our listeners to digest and un- unpack. and uh, you know congratulations on uh, sort of all the progress you've made in in the field. I, I think you know I very much look to you as one of the thought leaders in the space, and so really appreciate you taking the time to to be on the show today. Thanks,
2: Neil. It was great. A good conversation.
1: So Sonia Aronson, author, entrepreneur, investor, and founder of Hundred Plus Capital. So thank you so much, Sonia. Bill, what do you think? I thought that was a really wide-ranging conversation with Sonia. I, I was really excited to hear her perspective on the, the concept of health span versus lifespan. And I think she she made a really interesting point is that they're they're clearly not mutually exclusive. Right. So whether we'll be able to extend human lifespan or the maximum uh, amount of years someone lives is is not uh, mutually exclusive with extending the number of healthy years someone lives. So if you're able to extend the number of healthy years someone lives, you will likely be able to extend their maximum lifespan as well. So I thought that was really interesting. I uh, was, was also really interested to hear her perspective uh, about some of the uh, interventions that are available today. You, you heard us talk a little bit about Ah, uh, you know, diet. For example, you heard us talk about different ways that uh, the diet, uh, maybe exercise regimens, can have an impact on uh, extending both the healthy years that someone lives, as long as as well as the you know potential uh, uh, um, extension of the lifespan. Anything she says surprise you? Um, yeah, that that's a good question. Um, you know, I I, I think you know what. I, don't, I wouldn't say it surprised me, but, you know, I think Sonia definitely falls in the camp of, you know, th- there is no fundamental biological reason that humans must age and and die. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think she was measured in her approach uh, to some degree saying, okay, let's not take the Aubrey de-, de Grey approach of saying, okay, humans will live to be, you know, 500 or 1,000 years old. But is it unrealistic to, ex- to expect that we may be able to extend lifespan to, let's say, 150 years old in the not too distant future? Uh, and so, you know, not not necessarily surprising, but I think certainly a, a controversial point of view um, that that there is no fundamental biological reason that we must age and die. And so, I, I think if you look at you know some of the research that's been done out there, and we talked a little bit about this o- o- on the show, but right, folks like David Sinclair. Uh, have done a lot of work around not just the genomic aspects of of aging, uh, i.e., you know DNA damage, but the epigenetic changes that relate to aging. And are there ways that we can sort of repair some of the epigenetic changes uh, that uh, that we undergo as we age? And there are clear ways to uh, to, to, to help prevent some of those epigenetic changes. And a lot of that has to do, uh, around diet, around exercise, things like caloric restriction, for example, intermittent fasting, for example. Um, and then of course there are pharmacological interventions as well. You heard us talk a little bit about, uh, rapamycin, uh, and metformin, for example. So I think there's a, a variety of combinations of approaches that are actually available today that can, that can actually, uh, impact longevity.
0: One interesting point was how thinking has changed over time and moved from regenerative medicine and the notion of sort of spare parts more towards this era of genetic medicine that we're in. How do you think that may change efforts around aging and longevity? Yeah, I think
1: think there's that component. Uh, And I think also just how we classify aging has significantly shifted really in the last You know certainly the last decade but i'd say even within the last five years uh so uh, again if you if you look at folks like david sinclair right i mean that they are essentially lobbying the nih to classify aging as a disease itself and i think just looking at aging as a disease itself i think is 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 sort of a novel way to look at the aging process right and so actually if the nih were to classify aging as a disease there's a lot more public funding that could go into uh, age-related research. Um, we're not quite there yet. Um, but I think the whole framework of looking at aging as a disease is really interesting. And then if you do that, obviously, you're looking at different genetic components. Um, you're looking at ways to, to, to prevent and delay aging uh, through not just the genetic component, uh, but also the epigenetic component that, that I had mentioned previously.
0: Do you think this will ultimately give us a a new way to think about disease associated with aging and find new targets? Or do you think we'll be able to turn back the clock or at least slow that Toll that time takes on the body and the mind.
1: Well, that's that's the ideal view, right? So I I, I do think there are ways to slow down the clock. I think that that's been demonstrated uh, that there are there are certain ways to do that today. Um, I and I think there's a lot more potential out there. I think there are a lot of drugs being investigated today. There's a lot of other approaches that can help slow down, can help delay. Right? I mean, I talked to friends and family members, and t- today it's like. 50 is the new 40, for example, right? And so I, I think we are seeing people who are living healthier lives uh, into, into their golden years, for example. Um, and so I think we're seeing some of these things play out today. And I'm really excited about what the future holds. Well, till next time. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Looking forward to the next show.
0: Thanks for listening. The BioVerge podcast is a product of BioVerge Inc., an investment platform that funds visionary entrepreneurs with the aim of transforming healthcare, BioVerge provides access and enables everyone to invest in highly vetted healthcare startups on the cutting edge of innovation, from family offices and registered investment advisors to accredited and non accredited individuals. To learn more, go to BioVerge.com. This podcast is produced for BioVerge by the Levine Media Group. Music for this podcast is provided courtesy. The Jonah Levine Collective.